Hi, everybody. This is Charlie Guarino. Welcome to another edition of Tech Talk SMB. In today's meeting, I'm really thrilled to have joined me somebody that I have been reading so much about and have watched so many videos on, and it's a real delight to have her here. I'm talking about Dr. Ilke Demir, and let me give you her quick bio. In the overlap of computer vision and machine learning, Dr. Ilke Demir's research focuses on generative models for digitizing the real world analysis and synthesis approaches in geospatial machine learning and computational geometry for synthesis and fabrication. She has earned her bachelor's degree in computer science, computer engineering, I should say, with a minor in electrical engineering and has a master's and PhD degree in computer science. After graduating, Dr. Demir joined Facebook as a postdoctoral research scientist where she and others developed the breakthrough innovation on generative street addresses. Her research further included deep learning approaches for human understanding in virtual reality, geospatial machine learning for map creation, and 3D reconstruction at scale. Currently, Dr. Demir leads the research efforts on 3D vision approaches in the world's largest volumetric capture stage at Intel Studio. Wow. <laughs> Dr. Demir, it is a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, Dr. Demir, how I how we uh, first met, I attended a seminar that you were speaking on in, in California, and I was absolutely riveted on the topic, and it really raised my awareness on this topic that I really didn't know a lot about to begin with. But I have to say, within a short amount of time, in less than two hours of hearing you speak on this topic, it was eye-opening to say the least. And that probably doesn't do it justice just on, on what I'm talking about. The, the topic is on deep fakes. You know, years ago, we would hear about individual photos getting retouched, simple retouching. And that was enough to trick people into thinking that something wasn't really what it was in that we with retouching it, it looked better than it did or looked different and i would watch historic videos or i've seen historic videos and never once have given a moment's thought to its authenticity mm -hmm. but today especially after hearing you speak my perspective has completely changed and in so much that i'm now starting to question everything that i'm watching so let's start with that. So first of all, let's talk about deep fakes and and old videos, how they're being retouched or things like that. So let's start let's start right there. First of all, so what exactly is a deep fake? Uh deep fakes are um any type of media where the actor or the action of the actor is not real. That can be deep fake videos, um synthetic images, uh synthetic voice or audio or like there are even like maybe some 3D content that is uh, that is faked from some real content. So all of these collections are within definition of deepfakes. Um, 
if the more they are used for evil purposes, they are more categorized as deepfakes. Um, but if they are for good, or if they are more towards like synthetic data that you can see that it is synthetic, or like that you can um, easily identify that they are um, created from as a derivative of something else, then they are more towards the definition uh, under synthetic media. So is it is it fair to say that deepfakes have the ability to almost rewrite history by, in, by, by having a new person introduce a new topic or say something that didn't really happen? Yeah, yeah, they, they have the power to manipulate anything that we have seen before. I think there was, um, like to uh, answer your question with, with an example, I think there was a Nixon deepfake that was reading a speech where um, if the moon landing didn't happen, what would have been said? I think there were some documents that was like prepared in case it was going uh, not as expected. So the, someone prepared a deep fake uh, of him reading that text and it looks very realistic and you believe as if like it was also recorded, but it was not. So um, yeah, you can try to mimic history with deep fakes. So that event didn't happen at all, zero. Yeah, no. <laughs> and there are so many other examples of political you know, world leaders saying things that they didn't say. Absolutely. I think the most... Um, prominent example that uh, that showed that deepfakes are really bad was an Obama video, uh, Obama deepfake that was saying like very um, not appropriate things about like other politicians. And that was the first um, eye-opening example uh, from the research community to the public showing that deepfakes can actually change opinions. Right, because for the, uh, for, for someone who's not aware of this deepfake technology, they're simply watching this video as it's being posted on social media. And here they see, as you mentioned, President Obama at the time saying these negative things, and it's completely believable. Absolutely. You know, it makes you question, you know, what you're seeing is, is not what you're seeing, so to speak. Exactly. So um, actually, there was a um... There was an old collaboration, old workshop that we attended in UCLA. And in that workshop, we were looking at um, all impacts of deepfakes, not just technical impacts, but like societal, psychological, etc., um, like legal uh, uh, effects and impacts of deepfakes. And one thing that we uh, and mostly the social scientists that are looking at this topic uh, realize that it is actually pushing the society towards a social erosion of trust. This is exactly what you said. Like, even if something is not deepfake, the, the consciousness around deepfakes, that anything can be a deepfake, makes us question anything that we see without, um, like, it may be super realistic, but we still have that hesitation. And the more higher quality deepfakes that we see, that hesitation even increases more. And that actually... That is that can also be weaponized against like um, truthful against like genuine authentic videos saying that oh that is a deep fake don't believe in that in that guy you know so um, that's like a very dystopian future that we see unfortunately but hopefully we are de developing those like deep fake detection algorithms and provenance algorithms so that it won't be we won't be going towards that dystopia. I I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> You know, every year there's a there are surveys done at the executive level 
on their top concerns in IT, for example. And the one topic that always comes to the top year after year is security. And, mm -hmm. and that's always about, for example, data breaches. And there's so many different facets to security. And I really think that this should be an, an equal facet in that discussion. Maybe it's not because maybe we're more concerned about encrypting data, for example, things mm -hmm. like that, and concerned about a data hack. But I think this particular topic is, is potentially equally, if not more important to have in this discussion. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. So just um, imagine doors or systems that we unlock with our fingerprints, right? Like fingerprint is a biometric information that is used for used with used by governments and like systems, security systems, etc. Our face is also a very similar biometric information that we use for authentication, for like enabling things, for making people believe in us, etc. So when you seamlessly fake our faces, that is a security concern that is like a very dramatic cyber um, uh, risk that we can actually giving away by ourselves because you won't post pictures of your fingerprint and put it everywhere, right? But you are taking photos of your face and putting it everywhere. So that is actually giving away biometric information without even sometimes being asked for consent. Um, so uh, DPEX in that sense is actually um, hopefully bringing some awareness uh, without uh, actually, not without, but like before bringing the doomsday scenarios, it's actually, um, hopefully more making people aware that they should not share that information that much or they should like trust the detection algorithms or like more, um, uh, hopefully it comes with the awareness that it brings. You know, you, you bring up an interesting point and you mentioned it about, uh, I wouldn't post my fingerprints online and I wouldn't do that of course, <laughs> but but my, my likeness, you know, my, my photos of myself and videos of myself and many people, many peers in my, in my community do the same thing, you know, and and I I'm certainly no no different than many other people who are doing the same thing. But I think in many cases the ship has sailed. I mean, I the genie's out of the bottle, so to speak. You know, my image is out there, mm -hmm. like everybody else who is freely putting, you said without consent, freely putting photos of themselves, videos of themselves in social media. Mm -hmm. So is it so? Is it too late for for some of us already? Um, I wouldn't be that negative i think it's not that late um so first of all um as i said like there will be detection algorithms and there will be authentication algorithms to see whether those faces are fake or real and when those uh, systems are in place that are doing automatic detection on any platform then in that case if someone is using your likeness or you uh, using your face to do a deep fake they will be automatically deleted or eliminated or at least like marked as fake on the other, other hand, um, we are actually developing novel algorithms where you can have the ownership of your face back in social media. So um, that's actually a very recent approach that we introduced, which is called My Face, My Choice. <laughs> the name of the paper is My Face, My Choice. So, um, you know, like um, if you put a photo with or it's like someone uploads a photo with or without your consent, you still have the freedom to tag or untag yourself. But even if you untag yourself, 
your face is there. Your face lives in the platform. So we want to um, prohibit that. For that, we um, developed this My Face, My Choice approach that looks at the photo, looks at the friendship, looks at the permissions that you give to the people. And uh, for those that you don't want to be seen, um, in their view, um, the system is changing your face with a synthetic face so that the image is still seamless, the image integrity is there, but your face is not there. Your face is defect with a non-existent face. So in that sense, automatic face recognition algorithms like, uh, like social media platforms that are storing face embeddings or like Clearview AI that is running face recognition on everything. So in that case, those um, approaches cannot identify you anymore in those existing photos. And the more deep fakes that we create in this way, the more non-existing faces that we create in this way, um, the more their search space is exploding. So instead of looking at, let's say, 2 billion faces, uh, they are looking at 2 trillion or even more faces. And doing this face recognition and ID uh, detection is even harder when you blow up that search space. So um, we are also like using defects in a sense that like they are protecting your privacy, protecting your identity instead of like using it for bad. Do you think replacing somebody's face with a with a with a synthetic image is is uh, I don't know what's the right word more appropriate or better than let's just say pixelating someone's face out in, in an image? Is that is is that a better approach? You think? Um, I would answer it in both in in two ways: technical way and societal way. So technically, um, some of the pixelation approaches or some of the masking approaches are actually reversible. So with super resolution or with like the complicated deep neural networks, you can actually reverse that pixelation and like reveal that it is you. Um, in societal sense, um, like seeing a mask or like you know people are putting smileys or emoticon emojis on top of faces. Seeing that is like obviously um an inferior photo you know like it's not like um the same uh experience as if you are looking at viewing a real real right, not natural it's not natural yeah not natural at all there's no image integrity so we don't want that experience and um the main concern of social media platforms or like um like a face masking approaches is that oh yeah if we do that people don't look at photos anymore because they don't enjoy the photos as much as they look at the natural photo you know so in that case we still keep that naturalness we still keep that image integrity but you're not there anymore so <laughs> That's an interesting approach. I, I I had never considered that. So is that already in place? I mean, have I already seen photos using this technology and other people in the group are not who they are? Is this that pervasive already? Not yet. Hopefully soon. Okay. <laughs> if anyone is interested in that technology, reach out to us. <laughs> I got it. Okay. So let, let's go a little deeper into this. So I, I, um, I think about Forrest Gump, and I think I mentioned it earlier. Forrest Gump is a movie that was amazing at the time in the 1990s and it, it put it put the character in the movie in many different places and i did some research on that and and it's called the forest gump effect but at the time that was done with green screen and just you know at the time hollywood trickery that was available at the time but that that's different than today because in the movie forest gump they put him in different situations the same person whereas now deepfake is actually making a different a, a a new person 
say something or putting a person in a situation um, and say things that they never said, for example. I think, I think it's a very different new, it's very different nuance with far more reaching implications, I think is, is the right word here. Mm-hmm. How does somebody, um, without revealing too many secrets, although I did find quite a bit of information online, so I guess it's available, but how, do, how does somebody, what's the process? How does somebody go into start making a deep fake? What's the technical process to do that? Um, so deepfakes, there are different ways to do deepfakes, but the very first one was based on generative adversarial networks, which is a generative deep learning approach um, that is based on training a huge system of parameters um, on a huge um, data set of different people and learning the distribution of that data set so that whenever you are sampling from that distribution, it looks like a face that is very similar to what you had in the data set. So you can say that it all started with like deep learning and learning distributions and try to sample from that distribution in a way that it makes sense uh, with the with the whole network. Now, that was uh, back in 2014 when generative adversarial networks were first um, introduced actually that's like even even uh, a different one that like uh, that I said um, but there are other approaches that you can actually do like um, so for example generative adversarial networks is made up of two networks one of them is trying to generate new faces and the other network is trying to guess whether it is a new uh, it is a real face or a fake face so it is the game between those two networks that they actually converge at some point and they always create like a good faces. There are other approaches, for example, face reenactment or face uh, face swapping approaches. In that case, you are actually encoding a face uh, into a latent vector and you are decoding uh, the same face, uh, the latent vector with the decoder of another face so that you can actually keep the pose and keep the expression but uh, encode the identity from the other face. So this is more towards like making me talk like, uh, making my face look like you, but still talk like me. Um, there are other approaches which are based on uh, 3D model fitting, for example. Um, you know, we can parameterize the face in 2D or 3D, and those parametric locations, like where your nose is, where your cheeks are, where you're like where everything uh, on, on your face, these can be parameterized and fit from people, person A to person B. And that is a little bit more like towards the traditional way of how we are doing like face modeling and face reconstruction. But now that we have even deep learning in, in those systems, you can actually do um, those like uh, face reanimation in the in a more accurate way than it was done before with blend shapes and parameterized models. You, you, you uh, made me think of something. You mentioned that this went back to 2014. And I imagine the technology was not nearly as good as it is today. Oh, it, no, not at all. It's going at such an accelerating pace. And that's really, and maybe that's, you know, and, and like all things of technology, there's always a good side and a bad side. But um, I think in the early days, one of the, another term that I encountered in my research was uh, this term called shallow flakes or shallow fakes. That that wasn't it was more rudimentary. The video that you were watching, for example, but 
there's also, you mentioned data points on a face, for example, mm -hmm. and you mentioned like, you know, maybe someone's nose and their chin and their cheeks and their eyes are, are data points. But I want to share with you something that I find very disconcerting. I have twin sisters, identical twin sisters, and they can open up each other's phone. <laughs> yes. Face recognition. We just talked about it. So yeah, exactly. the face embedding is the same. So uh, the face recognition approach is assuming like you are the same person. So, But they're two different people entirely, my sisters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that only speaks to, I think, is as, as good as this technology is, I think there's still a lot of room for improvement. Absolutely. Yes, yes. But let's go back to what I said earlier about 2014 and, and how from there until today, how this technology has progressed and how quickly it's progressed. Mm -hmm. So what have you seen on that timeline? Yeah. Um, so it when like if we look back on the generative models, um, uh, for example, there were um, as I said, like variational autoencoders, and they were learning that distribution, but um they were not learning to sample like very high resolution faces. So it was always that blurry face that like when you look from afar, it looks like a face, but it's actually more like the uh, mean image um, of the faces that, that that it has seen on the data set. Then, of course, came the genetic adversarial networks, and um, genetic adversarial networks like brought so much more um, approaches that you can actually conditional face condition face generation on different uh, vectors like. Um, uh, create with a uh, known expression, create with known gender, create with a known face, then instead of creating with known face, you can actually change the existing ones, right? Like you can, like we have seen not even just only in the research space, but on also in the application space, we have seen the aging applications, making younger applications, stylizing applications, like all of them are like mobile apps that you can just like, or, or, or web apps that you can just like upload your photo and see um, what are you are on on like age 60 or like see how you would look if you are uh, if you are the opposite gen or, or you are another gender etc so um all these app all these applications and all these researches coming from the um the same generative ne generative networks that have been developed since then the next step is actually doing that in 3d uh changing the environmental conditions, changing lighting, not only doing it for humans, but doing it for scenes, doing it for objects. If you capture this, my room, for example, can I um, change the poster right behind me in a way that the reflections are the same, the occlusion doesn't affect anything, it looks as realistic, etc. So all of these are becoming real thanks to the advancements in deep learning, democratization of AI, and easy training of the data uh, of the networks. You know, the things you're talking about there suggest that you need very superior computational power to do this. But I've also have learned that the technology, uh, home computing has become so powerful and, and the software has become so good that it this is becoming easier and easier to do. And nearly anybody, quote unquote, anybody can get involved in this technology. Yeah. Um, and, you know, um, 
us researchers are always sharing our code. There are so many GitHub repositories that people can just like go download the code and try to run it on their uh, on their laptop or desktop. And actually, uh, my colleague uh, Dr. Chifchi was uh, mentioning that he's seeing even high school students just like downloading that code and making deepfakes. So it is like uh, becoming very accessible to create some. And there's always that. Um motivation that interest to do it just because you can do it but for no other reason of course <laughs> a lot of students just like they, they enjoy the challenge yeah our curiosity drives us <laughs> absolutely and that's not necessarily a bad thing either i think by the way yeah so let's keep going in this conversation then so how would i as a layman today with my naked eye be able to watch a video and possibly say to myself that can't be real. There's no way that that person would be saying that thing. Or has the technology gotten so good that I can't do that anymore? I, mm -hmm. I can't detect it with my naked eye, a deep fake. If you look at Hollywood productions, like even before deep learning and even before deep, uh, like generative models being in this level, it was done, right? So there is no limit to human creativity with technology. But in the context of deep neural networks and uh, deep fakes, um, I think it is going uh, towards that like um, unrealizable moment that we cannot just like look at the video and say by our naked eye that it is fake or not. Earlier, like uh, earlier saying a couple of years ago, maybe uh, you could see some symmetry artifacts. You can see some like discrepancy and boundary or like hair and uh, uh, face was not matching at all. Um, so in those cases, you were able to see that, oh, okay, like this is not a real video, but now it is so advanced that you cannot actually just like look and like, maybe you can have some intuition about like, oh, like, is it like, is the speech not really fitting to the mouth or you know oh that's like a very unnatural eye blink etc but uh, instead of just like going through that hesitation actually you need some detection approaches that are automatically trying to detect whether they are fake or not and hopefully they are actually reasoning that detection they are not just blindly saying okay this is fake this is real but like um supporting that decision that that label with a confidence metric supporting that decision with some explainability on the um, features that are extracted from the deep fake or real video etc so um hopefully um we will not be relying on our naked eyes in near future so that's 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 where it's going but for the casual person who's just simply watching videos online they don't, you know, who who don't have this technology to be able to detect deep fakes, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But, but the videos that I'm watching today are very believable, very. Mm -hmm. believable. You know, one one other thing that I initially thought of in the use of deep fakes would be, again, we talked about President Obama, you know, world leaders saying things that don't that didn't really occur, things like that, but th that didn't ap appear doesn't appear to be the case. What I uh, read was that there's a very high degree of deep fakes in the pornography industry. Yes. So, and, and maybe that might be the, the, the biggest use perhaps today of, of deep fakes. How do you speak to that? Um, I think there was a 2019 report that was saying that more than 96% of uh, deep fakes appear in adult content. And, um, you know, if, if if there is some technology that is going, it uh, you can see how you can see its future by 
how it is used for adult content. <laughs> so I think Deepak is a good uh, good example of that. Like, like when it is blooming there, it means that it will bloom in other parts of the population. Um, so um, mostly like making non people do unexpected things is what deepfakes is for, and especially for adult content. But um, it's not only for like celebrity impersonation or like defamation, etc. Uh, it is also coming as a non uh, non intentional cause. So, for example, if your data set has so many nudes for some specific category or specific gender or specific race, then the images that you are generating from that data set, from the network that trained that was trained on that data set, will come as nude. So there is, I think there was a recent article about um, you know, there's that popular like stylization app called Lens AI, I guess. Um, so um, one person was very upset with it, saying that like I did not give any nude photos to it to to the app for uh, stylization, but all of the photos that came from the app was nudes, and like I was like so shocked that like without my consent it is creating nudes. Um, there was also another app that was that not an app but a Telegram bot that um, with a small amount of money they were sending the nude version of any photo that you send right. and it was reported that it was used to create more than 600,000 nude photos of women which is like unbelievable like i don't think we have that many i don't think we have like that much data sets to train with you know but like that bot actually used that many images so that's also putting more emphasis on what we said before, right? Like you don't want to put your face anywhere so that people can use it for something, or you don't want to put your photo anywhere that people can use it for something. Hopefully when like detection and algorithms are mainstream, all of those apps, all of those like notification, non-consent, uh, non-consensual deepfakes, et cetera, will be found out uh, in the deep dark web. <laughs> and you know, the release of the release of deepfakes can, can literally ruin a person, ruin their, their career reputation and, and things like that. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. pretty far reaching. And there is the other way around too. Like if the release of some truthful, shameful video of someone is out there, they can say that, oh, that's not me, that's a deepfake. And they can get away with it. Hmm. That's true, I hadn't considered that. So we, I think our entire conversation has focused primarily on maybe the negatives of deep fakes, things like that, but there has to be a positive side. And that, and that's always the balance, I think, in, in the field of, in the world of technology, there's always the good side and the bad side, and there's always a misuse, but surely there are always some positive reasons to use this technology. So I, I found that a couple online myself, for example, being able to have one person speak in many languages to to have a, a much wider audience but what might might you have some other examples of how this is being used in a positive way absolutely um it does i mean the deepfake research emerged with providing better digital humans virtual avatars like in how we can represent ourselves as uh, realistic as possible in AR, in augmented reality and virtual reality environments so all the research actually the uh, uh, seeded from there um, it was not like for those like evil purposes um, we um, like um, in a, again like um, 
in those environments that are like very um, high and photorealistic uh, deepfakes or synthetic content that are like representing us uh, as, as our digital twins. Um, as you said, there are personal assistants that are talking in many languages that has been also applied to um, movie translations. Um, so it's not just like uh, the voiceover or dubbing, but they're actually creating like lip sync approaches to make a Japanese movie uh, redubbed and redefect um, in English, for example. So you don't even know that the characters are like uh, no longer like uh, speaking in their own languages. Um, another one that is like a good uh, improvement uh, of, of, of deepfakes is, um, you know, all these um, visual effect artists, creators, movie industry, etc. They were um, all doing all these hand edits or like motion capture systems, etc. But now they can actually basically use deepfakes. Um, I think there was a news about uh, Bruce Wills giving his deepfake rights to a company to use it for movies. Um, Although this is like a positive news, there was also the negative side that like he actually said, no, I never signed anything to give away my deepfake rights. So we come back to the negative side a little bit, but um, I can give a positive example of that. So uh, when we were shooting a, a VR, uh, sorry, a AR short movie in the, in Intel Studios, um, it's like a 3D capture studio. So we are basically shooting 3D movies. Um, so this was what this one was a series and the uh, main uh, host of the show was coming to the studio uh, to get like a new capture done, new episode done, etc. But because of COVID, he couldn't come to one of the uh, episodes. And uh, we said, don't worry, shoot your um, video in 2D with the script and scenario and like everything um, in your home and then send us your movie. So we will apply your uh, we will take your movie take your like 2d movie and apply it to a 3d capture that we had of you before so that we can do a 3d defect of you instead of you coming all the way to the studio you know so these are all like um authenticated um with consent uh, created for good defects and they are also coming and um i think the hope around that is having a little bit more laws and more uh, like legal consequences um, that supports these um, agreements and supports these um, um, uh, defect rights, you know? Um, it's not just like, oh, like we did it, but like it was like a, that ad hoc agreement, but instead like if there's like real defect rights uh, in the legal domain, then that would help that too. Yeah, there was one other article I, I saw, actually, it was actually a video that I saw uh, a, few, a couple of years ago, the uh, the Dolly Museum in in uh, St. Petersburg, oh, Florida, they actually yes. created uh, videos, uh, deepfake videos of Salvador Dali speaking to people. Yes, you you you're shaking. You, you know this one. Yeah, yeah, that's like uh, one of our um, uh, one of our best um, uh, demo pieces. So you know, like uh, we are showing our like detection technology, and uh, Dali Museum was so uh, uh, gracefully <laughs> uh, let us use their video as an example of like a really like high resolution and believable defects. So um, uh, actually, Dali in that video says that like. Um, I don't believe in that, do you? <laughs> and I'm like, well, with this deepfake, I don't believe it either. So there are like, uh, just like that, there are also like uh, very good uh, uses of deepfakes. Um, you can bring dead people uh, to live with deepfakes and make them say things that maybe they did not before. Um, 
there are also um like <laughs> the person doesn't need to be dead to do that um there are some privacy enhancing uh, approaches uh, that defects are used for example if you are in a therapy uh, with teleconferencing but you want to share your problem you want to like uh, get advice from your uh, um, therapist but you don't want to reveal your identity then there are like some really real-time deep faking approaches that the patient is talking as if he or she is talking to the actual therapist but therapists never see the actual person she sees the deep page but the expressions micro expressions eye gaze everything is protected other than the identity so the therapist can still analyze the behavior analyze like the expressions etc so that's another uh, good use and maybe the last good use is towards like we, we talked about the legal domain just a little bit, but there are other uh, ways around. So um, probably, you know, like according to GDPR and new like data collection rules, they uh, like in Europe, it is banned to just like run an autonomous car on the way and collect everything on the streets. You cannot do that because of GDPR. Um, so some startups and some companies are actually taking that street view video that is collected by the autonomous car, uh, deep faking all the faces on the de on device uh, without sending it to anywhere. And when it is processed, then they are sending. So they are not actually sending any biometric information, any face information. They are sending deep fakes uh, to, to be processed on the cloud. So that's another good way of using deep fakes. Yeah, that's a whole other, GDPR is a whole other discussion that... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I, and I think certainly it's on its way to the United States as well. I, mean, I think California has already adopted some, uh, you know, underpinnings of it. I think. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, wow, this has been fascinating. And just just to read what I was, while you were talking, I was just thinking about you mentioned earlier about the movies. I'm just thinking how interesting it would be to watch a foreign movie without subtitles. You know, that how great that would be. Yeah. Yeah. Domain, I also want to like I, I think there's a very good effort I want to mention that um, there's a documentary that is uh, sharing the stories of, of um, oppressed um, LGBTQ communities in a country where they are like tortured they are like uh, the government is being violent because of the that minority population and the documentary wants to um, share their experiences without sharing their identity because if they, if their identity is shared they will see the same thing right so they use defects for the whole documentary um you can see the expression you can see like how they are really like affected by the situation but their identity is not revealed which is like a maybe my favorite example in this domain that how defects are actually um helping people that's a great example and everything mm -hmm. you talked about people can find they can Google this information and, and find more examples of what you're talking about, I think. Absolutely, yeah. So I would be completely remiss if I didn't bring up one of the technologies that, that you were uh, one of the creators of, and that's called Fake Catcher. I think <laughs> yes. This is really fascinating. And this is, it's a product, and I, I hope you can expand on it, but it's a product in, in its simplest definition to help identify deep fakes. So right. I'll, leave, I'll leave it there for a minute. And what can you tell me about Fake Catcher? I, I think it's fascinating technology. So Fake Catcher is uh, a baby, <laughs> a research baby of my and Dr. Umur Chifji from Binghamton University. Um, so when deepfakes were first like coming out, um, I was 
looking at uh, understanding people, uh, behaviors like gaze, gaze and gestures, everything uh, in uh, virtual reality and how we can actually build deepfake, uh, build uh, generation approaches mm -hmm. on those, um, and how we can build like deep learning approaches on those. Um, and my background is more finding priors and digital representations of any kind of data. So when defects were coming, I thought, oh, there needs to be some priors in humans that we can depend on. There needs to be some like authenticity in humans and human videos. And um, at that point, I actually knew that um, the, MI, the famous MIT paper on photophilatismography, PPG, from videos. So I said, we need to look at PPG <laughs> signals on those videos. And uh, my colleague, Dr. Chifchi, he's an expert on PPG signals. So I brought him uh, 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 on board and we actually did like very extensive studies on how photoflexmography is behaving on real videos and fake videos. Well, I keep saying PPG or photoflexmography, but what it is, what is, it is, is that, um, when your heart pumps blood, it goes to your veins and the veins change color based on the oxygen content. That color, of course, is not uh, visible to our naked eye. Like I cannot just look and see your uh, heart rate, but that change is visible computationally. And that change, uh, that signal is called photophilatismography. So we are measuring the heart rate from and blood flow from the skin on your face and using that uh, we find whether a video is real or fake. Of course, we are not like just using that. We are um, collecting that PPG signal from many places on the face. And we are looking at their temporal, spatial, and um, uh, spectral correlation to find out whether, and then we <laughs> feed it to a deep neural network to classify them into real and fake videos. So that's basically fake catching. That, that's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. The idea of that is just, um, and, and where would you say using this technology, does that give me 100% accuracy or is it high 90s? I mean, what's the what's the, the success rate of this technology? Um, we evaluated it on many state-of-the-art data sets. Uh, one of them is face forensics. Uh, so on face forensics, we have 96% accuracy. Then we looked at other data sets like SolarBF, Face Forensics Plus Plus, um, Deeper Forensics, and all of them are in the paper. If you like search for like fake catcher, they are all in the like high 90s. Uh, but I want to emphasize the another data set, which is defects in the wild data set, which is everything that we talked about, basically, like all those videos on YouTube, Twitter, research presentations, and all videos that we don't know their generator. We don't know what artifacts are there. We don't know the compression. We don't know what is post-processed there. So in all, the, all those unknown settings, we can still have 91.07% accuracy using fake catcher. And if you try to do like blind detection or just like train neural networks on, on that data, it is almost like back into like no, no idea, like 50%, 40% accuracy, which is very bad. So what's your so let's start wrapping this up. But what's your final view on this? If if I'm watching a news program, news media, or if, if I'm running a news media organization, how do I trust the videos that I'm getting that I'm broadcasting to my viewers that that content is accurate? What do you see going forward in that viewers can trust what they're seeing 
uh, would they employ fake catcher and then say, yes, it's gone through fake catcher and we, we can verify the, the content is authentic? What's your view on that? Uh, so basically, that's our vision. <laughs> so uh, my team at Intel took FakeCatcher and uh, we created this real-time defect detection platform where um, we can like process um, up to 72 concurrent detection streams on Intel platforms, which is like very nicely optimized with all using like Intel uh, hardware and software accelerations for AI. And uh, we want uh, like news organizations, broadcasters, social media companies, everyone to adopt similar pipe catcher or like similar real-time defect detection algorithms so that whenever you are watching a video, there is that little check mark or little like confidence metric that is saying, okay, with 80% confidence, we believe this is this is fake. With 90% confidence, we believe this is um, uh, real. And we don't want to stop there. We can actually, um, uh, we have approaches that are looking at source detection for deepfakes, like which generative approach created this deepfake. Uh, we can also provide that to the users and that will make the user, the viewer, make even a more informed decision about like whether it is a fake or not, knowing the source. Um, we also want to build provenance approaches uh, with deep learning. For example, it may be a, um, a defect that is done for good. We have talked about that, right? So how do we enable those defects for good with um, creators um, embedding the information inside the defect, saying that, okay, this was done by me, done by this model. Uh, it was uh, done by uh, done with this purpose, using this uh, um, consented uh, source image, etc. So if we can embed all that information into the deepfake and um, decode it in the view time, decode it in the consumption time, then we can actually have that watermark, have that authentication saying that this is deepfake, it is good, done for good, like you can trust it. Uh, even if it's fake, it was done with like these sources and non-provenance information. So even though the defect detection is totally needed for short term, in long term, hopefully the provenance approaches will be able to give us all the information about where the media came from. Right. And raise the trust in media overall for everybody. Absolutely. That's the name of our, our general uh, research group, uh, which is Trusted Media. <laughs> so I hit it right <laughs> on the head. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, Dr. Demir, I can't thank you enough because this is such an important topic and I think very timely. As I mentioned earlier, I started the conversation with, you know, I attended one of your seminars last year. And since that day, I've been questioning to myself and, and really thinking about what I'm watching and is it authentic, things like that. And I think that, yeah, I think you really onto something and I just, I see you're on a path here that's just going to just keep exploding exponentially. I don't know how it possibly couldn't. So thank you so, so much for, um, for your time today. Truly, I, I genuinely appreciate it. It was a real pleasure. Likewise, thank you. All right. Um, everybody, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. You can look up Dr. Demir's name on, online. You'll find lots of things about her and her fake catcher technology. I think you'll be very interested and as fascinated as I still am to this day. So thank you again. Please check out other things on Tech Channel. There are lots of other things on there, lots of good podcasts and lots of good content on there that's worth your while. And until next time, everybody, see you soon. Bye now.